Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. I appreciate you changed Raheem Mostert's name to Kareem Mostert. No, I said Kareem. No. This is the Press Box. Tyler, are you still there? With Grady and Bischoff. Those two maroons <laughs> can jump on a boat and sail up Lake Mead, never to be seen again. On ESPN Las Vegas. Mills is a lot nice to us now. We're no longer the Maroons. Well, he still he says I'm still the Maroon. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. You sailing up? A, you sailing up? Apparently, all by myself well, now. You'll find some stuff. Yeah. I will. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to be alone. Let's put it that uh, way. If you sail up Lake Mead right now, I have an important tweet to read you. Uh oh. This is from Paul Pabst, who's on the Dan Patrick Show. We were going to have Lane Kiffin on the show today, but the SEC commissioner said no media, no comments. To all SEC coaches. So the SEC commissioner, Nick Saban, <laughs> said no media? No SEC coach can do media appearance today. And, or and probably if, for a little while. Well, and if, I don't know if it's several, but a few weeks, it's the SEC football media days. They're not going to yeah. have media at those? They will. I mean, eventually Usually they, they have will. like a thousand media at that SEC but media day. Here, here's the amazing part of this whole thing. The SEC publicly reprimanded Nick Saban and Jimbo, and Fisher. Jimbo Fisher yesterday. Right. And the the SEC rule that they broke was talking badly about an opponent in conference. Like the SEC has a rule that you like can't call out your opponent, any of your SEC members. And if you do, you're going to get in trouble. Now, it's just a public reprimand, so it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But like the SEC is so like, hey... Don't tell anybody what we're all doing, <laughs> and if you do, we're going to punish gonna you. publicly rem- reprimand you. It's amazing, and now the commissioner of the SEC is like, all right, you guys all need to just shut up. Just stop talking, or we're all going to end up in trouble. So where was Kiffin supposed to be, on a podcast? He's supposed to go on the Dan Patrick show today. Oh, and they canceled him. Yeah. Why don't you just... Well, see, you can't go on there and not talk about it. It'd be the only thing they want well, to yeah, talk I, about. They're not going to say, hey, yeah. how's your running yeah, you back? Don't, you don't get Lane Kiffin's spring how's, game. How's, how's your running back? left tackle battle going in the spring? Yeah, it's going to be... Well, what do you think of those two morons? So oh. the SEC is like in damage control. Like, shut up, everybody, or we're all going and getting in trouble. It's we're all going phenomenal. to jail? It's yeah, phenomenal. Because they I, all know what they're doing anyway. It's unbelievable. Like, it's it's... It's great. The college football is amazing, and the SEC right now is like, listen, Jimbo, Nick, yes, you're right. They paid their recruits, but so is everybody else. So unless you want us all to get in trouble and fired, just stop talking. Saban backed off a little on the NIL. He apologized. Yeah. He said he shouldn't have called out anybody specific. And then he was like, well, I didn't accuse him of cheating. I just accused him of cheating. Yeah. (laughs) Not real cheating. (laughs) Just SEC type cheating. Wait, did you see Deion Sanders quote yesterday? Because Saban also took he a also shot at Jackson State. He also talked about Jackson State. State, yeah. And Deion Sanders said he wasn't really talking to me and Jimbo Fisher. He was talking to his boosters to start spending more money. <laughs> well, I think Deion Sanders is right. Deion Sanders is probably right. Like, right. why? Why? Why does Bryce Young the only one on my team with an NIL for a million dollars? What about the starting guard? What's wrong with that guy? Why haven't we gotten him any money? It's the middle of May. It is like the deadest time for college football. Spring stuff is all over. There's not really, I mean, there's some transfer portal stuff. They can't really do anything. There's not really recruiting at the moment. Like, this is the deadest time. Meanwhile, Nick Saban's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to light everything on fire and just watch it burn. It's amazing. It's a great sport. And I can't believe the SEC's like, all right, none of you can talk. 
for like a week. Just all of you shut up. Go home. Don't talk to anybody. How about Dan Patrick? He certainly didn't go for the Missouri coach. <laughs> It's like, now who can we get on to talk about this? And there's and it can't be Jimbo, it can't be Nick. So who's the next If you guy don't get it one of those to? two, it's Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach. Yes. Yeah. Although yes. Mike Leach might not know any of this is yeah, going on. Yeah, Mike Leach might not have any idea what's happening. He might be like, What are you talking about? <laughs> Something happened? Am I supposed to know this? I was reading a book about the ancient Romans. Yes. They... What if they fought a tank? <laughs> the first bite. Five minutes in. Good. The Press Box <laughs> First Bite is brought to you by the VGK Insiders of Fox Sports Las Vegas. Will the Raiders have a top 10 offense this season? Why is there such so much negativity around these poor guys, nobody, man? Nobody, nobody believes is in these guys. projecting them to be good. No. Like, not a soul. Well, the fans. Well, okay. Not right. a soul who does, like, NFL projections. Right. Sports books have them at, like, eight and a half. Pro football focus generally has them finishing last in the AFC West. Cynthia Freeland of NFL uh, Network, she put out, uh, this is her top, she actually did 11, top 11 offenses, and these are based on win share projections, and the Raiders are not in the top 11. The following teams are Buffalo, the Chargers, Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, the Rams, Kansas City, Green Bay, Dallas, New Orleans, Minnesota, and Miami. Now, this led me, and not this... No, I didn't go look up win shares, but this led me to sort of go look into well, what were the Raiders exactly last year? Did you know they only scored the 18th most points in the NFL last season? That playoff team? 18th most. I did most. not know that. They were in the lower half of the league in total points scored last year. And remember, they played three overtime games. They basically got right. three more quarters than most teams in the NFL. They were 14th in yards per play. So... A little bit better, but still, you're right around the middle of the pack in terms of yards per play. So they were not a top 10 offense last season. Obviously, they have Devontae Adams now. They have a new coaching staff. They presumably won't be led by an interim coach for the majority of the season. Is that enough for them to go from 18th or 14th, roughly 15, 16, into the top 10? They better. They're only going to have their quarterback and Devontae Adams for a year. (laughs) I mean, they, if they're only going to have those guys for a year, they better be better offensively. I, okay. I was a little surprised that they were 18th and 14th in points and yards last season. Like I knew the offense wasn't unbelievably good, but I thought like, oh, they would have been right around the top 10 last year, but not really. They weren't even particularly that close to the top 10 in points or yards. And I'm not convinced Devontae Adams makes that big of a difference. Well, I don't know if he, he can make a difference from like 18th to like top 11 or top right. 10. He's one guy and he's a receiver as good as he is. I mean, if it's, you know, the and the quarterback's really good, but let's say the quarterback wasn't that good and you, you replace him with a better guy, that's one thing. But a wide receiver is not going to bring you from 18th to 11th. Right. And that's sort of, and so like, for example, last year, the Raiders scored 374 points. That's 18th. To get to 10, which was the Green Bay Packers, they scored 450 points. Wow. Is Devontae Adams worth 76 no. more points no. in the course of a season? I don't think he is. No. Not even close. Is Josh McDaniels worth an extra 20, 40, 50 points? Like, obviously, we don't know. It's his second head coaching stint. The first one went very, very poorly. Uh, but even if he's really good, I have a hard time believing Josh McDaniels is worth 50, 60, 70 points more 70. than what they no were chance. last year. I mean, I mean, what's how much is a coach worth at the books? Nothing. Right. 
So I I have a I, I have a hard time seeing what they've done on offense this offseason and thinking, oh, that's enough to catapult them from 18th and scoring 374 points to 10th and scoring 450 right. points. I just I don't think it's enough. And that's gonna be a major problem, isn't it? I mean, if we're talking well, about a team, especially the especially the division they're in, right? If they're fifteenth in points or whatever, if they're hell, if they're thirteenth in points, right? If they have a pretty good offensive season, that's probably not enough. They're probably not finishing. if the Chargers and KC are ahead of them, yeah. as, as Anthony says. They're probably finishing third or fourth in the in the division. And yeah, by the way, she only did top eleven. Denver's not on there. And the Raiders aren't on there. She didn't go beyond 11, so we don't so know. So Denver could be ahead of them. Yeah, Denver could be 12, and the Raiders could be 13, or that could be flipped, or right. they could be 17 and 18 or something like that. But it's just, it's been an offseason where they made the big move for Devontae Adams. And it's like, okay, Carr's got his guy. Carr and Adams, hey, look, Darren Waller's going to be healthy, presumably. Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro's around. Like, this offense is going to be rolling. And I'm, I'm not convinced this offense is actually going to be a top 10 offense in the NFL. And if that's the case, like if they are 15, 16 offensively, their ceiling is last year, right? I mean, their ceiling is like a 10 and seven wild card. Well, team. until we see if this new defense can do anything and I'm not so sure it can. They didn't really improve on that. No, side. they haven't. They right. haven't. What have they, I mean, they're still lacking depth. There's some pretty yeah. key positions. Like not I mean, defensive line. <laughs> well, well, they they're 30, not lacking depth. I don't know how quality is. They have 30, yeah, exactly. I don't know if those tackles are any good, but they have a lot of them. So it's it's an offseason where they, they did a lot, but I'm not 100% convinced they're they going did a to lot. Be, that they're going to be significantly better. And they were 10-7 and seven last year, so even if they were just the same as they were last season, they're going back to the playoffs, which would be an accomplishment. I, th- I think if the Raiders make the playoffs this year, you're going to say... All right, good job. Like yeah, two straight years yeah. after you know one in twenty yeah. years, you're gonna look around. Good job. Like it might not be if you you know if they go to the playoffs and lose in the first round again, you're not like giving Josh McDaniels an extension and a raise, right. but you'll you'll be like, all right, that's slightly better than what most people expected. Um, is that is it easy this year? Is that the bar of success? Like if they make the playoffs, good job. If they miss the playoffs, that was a failure. Is that as easy? Is that I as think easy it's as, it as easy as to say that. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you on that. I think if they make the playoffs, even if they're on the road and it's his first year as coach. And like I said, in the previous 20 years, they made it like once or twice. If they go back to back playoffs, I think that's a success. I'll, I'll, I'll give one caveat, make the playoffs and don't lose by like 35 points. In the playoffs. Okay, game. so what if they have a playoff game like they did last year? Right. That, that was fun. I think you look around and say, okay. That's good. Yep. But if they make the playoffs and then lose to somebody like 48 to, to 3, 10. you're like, oh, okay. Like, nice 10 win season, but what the hell just happened right. there? Exactly. We might have some pause there. But it, if they make the playoffs, I think it's it's pretty much that easy. But the problem is, nobody's projecting that to happen. They're they're no. a favorite Other than to the miss fans, the playoffs. No yeah. one no one who picks these things for a living have had them yeah. above third in the AFC West, yeah. if they're, not always fourth. Right. So they're not projected to make the playoffs. It's like eight and a half wins, which means they need to overachieve to get to nine, and nine might not might be not enough. get you in. So it's uh fa- it's it's fascinating when you have fan expectations as high as I think they are for Raiders fans right now because of they, they got the big name in Devontae Adams, but it doesn't come anywhere close to matching up with the actual expectations from sports books or analytics or whatever it is. Like 
there's definitely two different sets of expectations for the Raiders this year, where if they, if they go eight, nine this year, most people that do, you know, odds or whatever, look around and say, that's basically what we expected. Maybe a half game, a game worse, but if they go eight, nine, the fan base is going to be like, what the hell is Josh right. McDaniels doing? Oh, yeah. Our Absolutely. yeah. They think, <laughs> I mean, well, I've seen some media as well, pick very high numbers, uh, yeah, but it happens. It happens. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, the fans are, uh, fans are like in the 12 win range. Um, what? yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Cause I Jared, mean, here's, here's the way most Raider fans view it is they won 10 games last year and they got Devontae and Adams. they got Devontae Adams. And I think this is actually the bigger point. They are not going to have an interim head coach. Presumably they're going to have a head coach for the entire season. Right. It's not like, Oh, middle of the year. Here's the guy who doesn't know how the headset works in his first game taking over, which presumably that should be a good thing, right? That should be helpful to the Raiders, but that's how they view it. They view it 10 win team, new coach got Devontae Adams. It's got to be 10 or more this year. Yeah, like, It's got to be worth a couple more wins, which is not a great way to look at things. Like, no, it's, it's, it's a fan way to look right, at things, but it's, it's how they look. I at mean, it, I so. think at one point I had them going, what? 10 and seven. Yeah, you did. Yeah. When we did right. our, our, yeah. uh, or ten and win loss. Yeah, yeah ten, ten and seven is reasonable. They went yeah. ten and seven last year. Yeah. By the way, why didn't you pick o o and seventeen? Oh, because I wanted them to. I wanted them to win enough games, but not win a single division game, so they don't go to the playoffs because they lost all their division games. And I thought that would be funnier. You could have them tie every single division game. But then there's that weird element that for well, yeah, no, that actually would be good too. <laughs> I do like a good tie. You do like a good tie. Every every AFC West game this year finishes in a tie. The, With the Raiders. No, all of them. All oh. all all four teams. <laughs> all four of them are 0 and 6, six. in division games. I don't know what happens in the NFL if that happens. I'm pretty sure they do what they did in uh Friday Night Lights. All the coaches meet in the band and they flip Mc, the coin. McDonald's and flip a coin. Flip a coin. Coming up next. Look at the Boston Celtics. I knew we were right to hate on the Miami Heat. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Told you. Heat aren't any good. Only one question matters here. Were you walking the dog in the fourth quarter? I actually waited, but that's because I was watching the Astros game finish. Okay, you, you didn't care about the basketball I did not point. watch the second half of the Celtics no. and no. Heat. no. <laughs> I watched hockey. <laughs> Are we ever going to see another close basketball well, I game? I said again? yesterday, yes, and now I'm not so sure. The last time an NBA game was decided by single digits was game six of Philly, Miami. That was on Thursday, May 12th. We have gone an entire, a full week without having a single close basketball game. And there's games game. every night. Yeah, and that's included a couple of game sevens. Right. And it, we've done an entire week of radio here talking about the NBA with not one remotely close basketball game. What is going on? Can we get these teams I to mean, play relatively good at the same time? I don't know. Is it as easy to say one team each night's the one that hits the threes and ones that doesn't hit the threes and then it's just the blowout? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because, you know, Boston gets their guys back last night. Um, I thought Marcus Smart was a difference from what I watched. Uh, and Miami was just not the Miami of the first first game. I, I, I'm i with you, though. I think we were not wrong about Miami. It's The three-point shooting has been strange because 
I I have I have no like statistical evidence to back this up, but I feel like it's been more hot and cold than we've ever seen in the NBA playoffs. Right. Where depending on the team. You you will have te- like Boston hit 19 of 37 threes last mm-hmm. night. But like in game 1, they they, they could cool. knock down yeah. threes. Like we are seeing really really good three-point shooting nights and horrific three-point shooting nights from the same teams on a game-to-game basis and it's I don't remember the NBA being that drastic. I remember generally it's much more consistent where guys are, yeah, you'll have hot nights. They are who they are. But you're not going to go from 20% to To 52%. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be like, ah, your good night's like 41%, your bad night's like 28%. But usually we're going to make 37% of our threes or whatever that number is. So it's just been so drastic, and I think that's a big reason why is one of these teams gets hot and they win the game because of the Mavericks then. (laughs) I mean, if you're out there betting, bet the Mavericks tonight because they were atrocious the other night. And uh, they'll win by 24 yeah, if they exactly. do win. Exactly. If Won't they shoot like they close. can, they'll shoot. They'll <laughs> win going away and get the split in, in uh, San Francisco. So you do think Marcus Smart was the difference? I mean, he had 12, 24, 12, and 9. Yeah. Um, I don't think he had a turnover, by the way. Did he not? Yeah. It, that in the was... fourth quarter, they said he didn't have a turnover, which pretty good. That was one of the big differences, too, is that Boston did not have a glut of turnovers like that third quarter of game one. Boston just kept giving the ball away and they gave it away like beyond the three point line, which just created two on ones or or just complete fast breaks for Miami. Like it wasn't if you have a turnover in the paint. That's right thing because you you can can generally get guys back. back. If you have a turnover, it goes out of bounds. You can get back. back. When you turn the ball over at half court, when you turn the ball over like three point line, three point line, you're generally giving up a layup the other way. And that's that's what was so bad about that quarter from Miami or from Boston in game one. Miami just kept getting layups and the fast break out of it. But here's the thing. They have now played eight quarters in this series. Miami has only outscored Boston in one of those eight. And that was quarter three. Game three or game two, quarter three. And game one, Boston won the other three quarters. And then last night, Boston won the first two. They actually tied the third and fourth quarters. But. It was a 20-point game the entire time. Fairly irrelevant. But basically, Miami has outplayed Boston in one quarter Mm -hmm. of this series so far. I think that's the reality. I think going forward, that's the reality of this series, that Boston is better than Miami. Miami is going to have a couple of runs here. Maybe they have a a whole game where they play better. But for the most part, Boston's going to be better than Mm -hmm. Miami, and it's going to lead to them winning in five games. Six? I think five. Okay. I don't know if Miami wins another game. I think this might be over. All right. I, I, I mean, see, I think Boston's winning the series. See one blowout game, and I say it tell you it's over. Boston and five. So they can't come back and win five in Miami. Nah, Boston wins it in Miami. All right. Yeah, Boston and five. Now Miami will hit forty-two threes, and they'll yeah, win a game. They'll win game three, and that's that's what we'll be talking about from here on out. So there's your we we were always right about this. Always right about the Miami Heat. Until they win another game, and then we have to be wrong about the Miami Then we get the tweets from people. (laughs) Told you. Told you they were better than you guys thought. Uh, 538, by the way, has the Celtics up to 70% to win the title. 538 loves the Celtics so much. They're tied in the series. There's four teams left, and they're tied in their series. And they're 70% to win the whole thing. And 70% to win the title. Not just this round. But I can only title, imagine the stats to win this round. I, I I can go look that up. It is it is unreal how much five thirty eight. If they're seventy percent the to win the entire thing, 
They got to be, let's see, they are 81% yeah, to win this to win round. This round. Six, it's now down to 68% to win the title. So they lost a couple of percentage points there. The Warriors are 63% to win the Western Conference Finals, 13% to win the title. Boy, they love the Celtics. It's, it's unreal how much they, they love, love the, Celtics. the Celtics. And I was looking, they, the, uh, so the way 538 kind of works, there's a, advanced analytics thing called Raptor, which ranks players like it right. gives them an offense and a defensive grade and then gives them just a full grade. And Luke is considered the best player left. Jason Tatum second, Steph Curry's third. And the Boston Celtics, I think it's five of the top 15 players that are left in the playoffs are Boston Celtics. Are Boston Celtics. And that's why 538 loves them because the main player metric they use is in love with the Celtics. Just they, they think that this team is like when you have 68% chance to win and you still got to win seven games, they think this team is so much better than everybody else right. in the postseason. I don't know that they're that much better, but they are that much better than the Heat. At least I think so. You think the Mavericks win tonight? I think they do. I think they hit like 33s tonight <laughs> and they win because they were they stunk the other night. So, yes, if we're going by what's happening in the playoffs so far, I think they hit a bunch of threes and they win the game. And that's really the only way the Mavericks can win a game. Hit a bunch of hit about thirty yeah. threes and they win the game and they go home and, and that's how they play. So yeah, so one of these days they're going to hit thirty threes yeah, exactly. and, and lose the series in five or whatever. But that one game they're going to hit like thirty threes. They might do it twice. I think they can get it twice. They you can mean, have two ridiculous twice? games and win it twice. I think so. Yeah, not. And I think one of them's tonight. If they win tonight, series is split. Going back to Dallas. True. They when were it, they were down 0-2 to Phoenix. Yeah. Well, that's Chris Paul. What was? Oh, I need to look up that stat. In the, like the last 20 years, it's like nine teams or something have lost after taking a 2-0 series lead, and Chris Paul's been on five of the nine. Yeah. Like, it's it's unreal. That I heard. That's right. They, they made they, they made a point to say that stat yeah. often in the series. Like, I, ca- I can't remember that's the right. exact numbers, but it's it was, something ridiculous. It was, where like it was bad. Teams that take a 2-0 series lead are like 112-4. and four, Yes. Or 112-9 and nine or something like that, and Chris Paul's like... Two and five. <laughs> it's like unreal how how he's been the one to blow it. And you look at the last two. Lo- I mean, they went up 2-0 in the NBA Finals, lost in six. Like they just stopped, and yeah. then went up 2-0 last round against the Mavericks and ended up losing seven. It's unreal. And I I think that was more about Phoenix. So if they go down 2-0 tonight, they lose. I don't think the Warriors have lost a home game in the postseason. I no, think the Warriors and the not. Heat were both unbeaten yeah, at home until, until last night. Last night, until Miami the Celtics lost. Got so, the heat. Yeah, there you go. All right, coming up next. Ben Brown joins the show. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. Hi, Ben. How you guys doing? Happy Friday. Happy oh, yeah. Friday. Yes. You too. Um, I don't know how much you end up interacting with Raiders fans specifically, but I feel like this is going to be an odd year where most uh, projections, whether it's sports books or anybody really is like eight and a half wins for the Raiders. And it's more likely they miss the playoffs than make the playoffs. But Raiders fans are pretty much the exact opposite and say, Hey, they won 10 games last year and improved. They're going to win 11 or 12 games this year. I don't know that there's many fan bases with that big of a difference in expectations than the actual like sports books have. Yeah, I would say maybe maybe Minnesota Vikings fans as well. I do think they are, they are very similar franchises in a lot of ways. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the uh, downfall of just basically trying to, uh, you know, project out future 
uh, results based on past performance. And there's a lot of other things that can definitely be folded in. And, and, and looking at 2021, like the Raiders uh, greatly exceeded expectations, right? Six and a half, seven game win total. Uh, they're now up, you know, another game and a half basically from where they were at to start the 2021 season, uh, just based on betting market projections. And, you know, I think that's uh, definitely at least reasonable given how much they exceeded expectations last year. But uh, outside of that, you know, they added Devontae Adams, but uh, there was, you know, quite a bit of turnover and there's going to be potentially some bumpy, uh, bumpy starts to this 2022 season from my, from my perspective. How much can a guy like because we know at the books like you know so many just so few things can make a difference in win totals about one win here one win there we're sitting here thinking how much a difference can Devonte Adams really make on a number because it doesn't seem like a lot because he's a wide receiver is that fair yeah it is it is very fair I mean I think uh, you know if you're looking at it from like the a spread perspective uh, for any given week if if, if the books expected Devonte Adams. Uh, to play, and then all of a sudden he was announced out, it would maybe move uh, the spread like maybe a half a point. It would probably just adjust the juice in a lot of ways. That's basically kind of what we saw, uh, you know, last year with him in Green Bay. Uh, so with so kind of projecting that out, looking at win totals throughout the whole course of the season, it really doesn't move uh, a whole lot uh, based on, like, one individual wide receiver, even if he is, you know, potentially the best wide receiver in the NFL um, so I do think that uh, it is fairly accurate to say, uh, you know, I think the reason why they're so much higher than what they were last year is just based on the fact that uh, Derek Carr had a really good year uh, and probably elevated his status among bookmakers to the point where, you know, he could be a legitimate top 10 quarterback year in and year out. Uh, you posted a graph yesterday looking at uh, draft and war from those drafts. Raiders came in last on that, but I was curious. <laughs> Uh, what did you have any big takeaways from basically the last four or five drafts, which teams have done the best in terms of drafting? Yeah. I mean, I do think it is interesting to look at it also with like quarterbacks removed. And I do think that probably gives a more accurate representation of how well, you know, teams have drafted. Cause you know, you look at that graph, you have a team like Kansas city, obviously they hit it out of the park with Patrick Mahomes, uh, but probably more middle of the pack, even slightly below uh, league average when you take out Patrick Mahomes in that given situation. I do think that, you know, the, the Raiders are essentially still the second worst team uh, from a total war drafted. If you do remove quarterbacks, I think, uh, you know, the Houston Texans are probably the worst, but uh, that's, it, that's the concerning thing with the Las Vegas Raiders, right? You can only cover up so many, uh, you know, warts or whatever through free agency, and you can go out and get a guy like Devontae Adams and have him be that legitimate number one wide receiver, but you are paying him a ton of money uh, and it leaves the other areas bare, right? And I do think that that's going to be the main concern uh, with the Raiders' offense in 2022 is is how well can that offensive line actually play uh, in Josh McDaniels, you know, Josh McDaniels' scheme? And are they going to have enough time uh, to throw the ball downfield? Or are they going to be more of a little, you know, a dink and dunk type passing offense? And I do think that's going to be uh, the key to if the Raiders, you know, end up having that top ten offensive unit or not here in 2022. But Ben, the 2020 draft was so good. <laughs> It was so good. I mean, that, and, that's, it's, it's, and that's why maybe, you know, you know the Raiders exceeded expectations last year, but they're definitely, you know, prime for uh, a prime spot for regression just based on the fact that they're, the cupboard is bare, right? Like, there's just not a lot uh, of hits over the past five seasons. And I think, you know, you have a couple of guys, you know, like Max Crosby, uh, Hunter Renfro, uh, and those types. But outside of that, like, there's, there's just not many – there's just not many players that they got over those last five years, and I do think it makes it for a really thin 
uh, top-heavy type of team. And I do think that's the concerning thing with the Raiders in 2022. I've asked you a lot about uh, teams that you think Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo might end up playing for next year. Um, If I had you put a date to do an over-under bet on when Baker Mayfield gets traded, what date would you put out there? I'm going to put, I would put right around like mid training camp. I think like August 13th uh, makes for a really interesting uh, uh, line. I would say as far as the date for when he gets traded, I do think that teams are probably going to get to that training camp, uh, you know, type feel. And I do think that uh, if they kind of go to camp with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, that's going to be when they get potentially desperate and they potentially unload him for uh, the right price to the right team. And I think that's probably uh, the correct time frame now because, it didn't seem like he was probably going to get traded in the NFL draft. I know we talked about that. Uh, it just didn't seem like it was going to be a good fit. So, uh, obviously, Cleveland probably wants to move on from him as quickly as possible, but the rest of the league uh, is just not, uh, not, not as rushed or concerned with it as Cleveland Browns. So I think they're going to have to get death before he actually ends up uh, moving to a different team. One guy we have not asked you about is Christian McCaffrey. Their total is five and a half going in. Um, if he's completely healthy, does he make that much of a difference? And, you know, do you think he's going to be completely healthy? Um, I would I would not have any money on Christian McCaffrey being, you know, completely healthy. I do think he is obviously, you know, really exciting player to watch. But uh, running backs just don't move the needle whatsoever from a betting perspective. And I do think that has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, the, the replacement value of a running back is so much higher than it is at essentially all other positions. You can watch, like, USFL, the one thing that the USFL has, really good running backs, right? And that's because there's there's just unfortunately uh, a lot of them. So uh, taking away Christian McCaffrey and subbing in somebody else like Chuba Hubbard uh, doesn't really move the needle a whole lot because he can get you 85 to 90% of the way there for what Christian McCaffrey is going to give you. So doesn't move the needle a whole lot. Um, I don't think I really want to buy into a Matt Rule-led uh, Carolina Panthers team, especially given the fact that he might be on his way out. Uh, could be, you know, one of the first coaches fired. Uh, but uh, I'm not buying into Sam Darnold. I do think if they started Matt Corral, that would maybe be the only reason why I'd want to take a look at them from a betting perspective because I do think that he's probably uh, capable of stepping in right away and actually providing much better quarterback play than what Sam Darnold's capable of right now. Did you actually bet on Minnesota to win the Big Ten West? I did bet on that. Yes, I did. I only got uh, like forty nine dollars down or something like that. It was a, it was, it's, it is definitely a homer bet. But uh, our simulation actually shows decent value. Uh, they are returning a number of you know veteran type players. Tanner Morgan's in like his eighth or ninth season or something at Minnesota feels like. But uh, they have you know the pieces in place to at least win the down division in the big 10. So I do think that is, you know, a pretty decent bet based on our projections right now. And it looks like uh, the spreads for week one through 17 gives you, as you say, a market implied power ratings. Do you, do you believe these when you look at the odds and you look at what it comes out for? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think, you know, they're definitely the most accurate ranking that I uh, look at. We also have like PFF ELO rankings as well. Uh, and it is interesting to see like the discrepancy between the two, right? Cause, uh, if you look at, again, like a team like the Las Vegas Raiders, they're 11th uh, in those market-implied power rankings. We have them closer to 19th in our Evo rankings. So it does seem like, uh, you know, the betting market is at least buying into them as being, uh, you know, an above-average team in a really difficult division, unfortunately. And that's going to be the reason why uh, they maybe don't live up to those betting market expectations. But uh, overall, uh, I think the betting market is actually valuing the Las Vegas Raiders uh, relatively highly compared to other power rankings. Which two NFL coaches do you think would take shots at each other like Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban did this week? 
Oh man, that is a really good question. That that is that is the entertainment we need for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think who would it actually be. I, I do think a guy. He obviously didn't uh, come back to the NFL. I know it was rumored to be uh, you know a Raiders option before they got Josh McDaniels. But I do think Harbaugh would be uh, the key instigator in, in, a, in an NFL type <laughs> fight. Unfortunately, we don't have him here. Uh, so it's it's probably going to be Dan Campbell. Uh, I would probably take him at minus odds uh, to beat up anybody, uh, any other coach in the NFL for sure. Well, he is Ben Brown from pro football focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks guys. Have a great show. Dan Campbell. Yeah, he would beat you up probably by biting some part of your body. Yes. Um, But I don't feel like Dan Campbell would ever actually say anything about a different coach. Well, he might do it, but it might just be some weird saying that nobody's ever heard before. Like he just make up a saying. I'm trying to and think of the other coaches. Like somebody. the younger coaches might have a chance. The young, younger guys, like Brandon Staley, and guys who are like going to be in better shape than some of the guys. I'm trying to think of the younger coaches <laughs> I mean, compared to the older ones. A lot of the younger coaches aren't that big. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They Brandon Staley's a thin guy. Yeah. He's yeah. a small guy. How tall is Sean McVay? Why do I want to say? Well, every single well, he's kind of yoked up. Okay, but, how but tall I think he's only he? five. I think he's only like five ten. Uh, but he is, yeah, five ten. You nailed that. That's strange. Well, yeah. it's because I think his girl. I think famously, like the girl he was dating, is six foot. Yes. So all of the pictures of him, it, there's a stark contrast. But pretty sure Dan Campbell's like six four two sixty. Yeah, I, I would not want that guy running across the field to be like wanting to have a discussion. Yeah, I think he's right. I think it's Dan Campbell that's winning there. It would be easy prediction on Jimbo against Nick, right? Jimbo. Jim, that Jimbo wins? Yeah. yeah I'd assume that'd so. be easy. He's also the one that called a press conference to just verbally <laughs> yell at Nick Saban. It's phenomenal. I can't remember. Somebody tweeted it yesterday. There's something amazing about calling a press conference to call someone else narcissistic. It's true. Like Jimbo yeah. Fisher yeah. had a press yeah. conference yes. to call Nick Saban An narcissistic. An egomaniac had a press conference to call someone else a narcissist. Such a great sport. Coming up next. Why do baseball teams hate their best players? We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. We'll get more into the NHL in the front page. Um, You guys are going to have to explain to me. I mean, I know why, but baseball teams that refuse to keep their best players. um, There's an ESPN story that was like the 10 10 big questions uh, this season in regards to possible trades. And the first question was, are the Nationals going to trade Juan Soto? Juan Soto is 23 years old. Juan Soto is, right now, I think his his career OPS would be top 20 in the history of the sport, right? He's one of the best hitters in the game right now. He's making $17 this season. He's under uh, team control with the Nationals for two more seasons after this one, before he would become At at the same rate. Uh, I think it would go up every year. It'd go through arbitration, so it's probably going to go up. Yes. Um, According to the story, the Nationals have not been able to come to an agreement on a long-term extension with Juan Soto. And there's an anonymous executive in somebody's front office that says if they can't sign him, they're going to need to trade him. The question is when, because again, there's two more years after this one where he's under team control. But if you're the Nationals, why are you not giving Juan Soto whatever he wants? Right, right. Like the right. only the only thing that would make sense is if Juan Soto just simply said, "I don't want to be in yeah, Washington. I don't want to be here, and you got to deal me because I'm not going right. to resign." And maybe he said that, but 
as far as we know. That hasn't been reported anywhere, but maybe he said that privately. But if they just simply don't want to pay him whatever he's asking for, I do not understand why you would not just pay Juan Soto whatever he wants. Because here's the key difference in in baseball than the rest of these sports. There's no salary cap. Like, yeah, there's some penalties for going over the luxury taxes. taxes. You pay more in taxes and all that. But it's Juan Soto. He's 23. He's going to be one of the best players in the sport for at least a decade. Right. Pay the guy whatever he... Like, there's almost zero risk. If there's risk on this guy, then there's risk on everybody. But there's almost zero risk in, like, a 10-year contract for Juan Soto because he's going to be good when he's 32, 33 Are they stripping it down and trying to rebuild? They already suck. And here's the thing. He's 23. If you're going to rebuild, you're going to try to be good. Well, you're going to rebuild around him. You're going to be trying to be good in two or three years. Oh, he's 25. Yeah. Like... Uh, <laughs> It's like going to take us five years. Okay, he's, he's 28. 20, like, 28, and it is prime. He's young enough that whatever your rebuild, unless your rebuild plan is for two decades, he should be a part of. I just, it happens a lot where teams decide, hey, we're not going to pay so-and-so. And sometimes there might be some decent reasons, whatever, right? But I cannot figure out if you're the Nationals, other than just simply being cheap, right? Other than just, uh, we don't want to hand out a big contract. Why you wouldn't give Juan Soto the money? Well, I want him to give the money because you say two teams mentioned as trade partners, oh. the Blue Jays and the Padres. Oh, if this happens. Oh, now that's what no. I'm cheering for. Oh, if trade sure, him to the Padres. Both of you are. Let's yeah, go. Let's Send him to, to San Diego. Oh, no. Oh. Ed's got to watch a playoff series where the Padres suddenly have Juan Soto teeing Whatever. off against the Dodgers. Juan Soto and Manny Machado, who's at like <laughs> 900. That's what we want. Be terrific. So I hope he goes there. And which, by the way, the Padres are mentioned now. You know that means the Dodgers are the ones that end up trading for him, right? Well, let's hope so. That's what happened last year. The Padres yeah. thought they were getting Scherzer, Scherzer. And then, like, the next day, Dodgers the Dodgers have traded yeah. for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. <laughs> and Trey Turner was like a throw-in. <laughs> like, oh, really? Getting that guy, too? He's pretty good. So the Padres being mentioned now is probably a good thing for the Dodgers. Because that just means they swoop in. Well, especially if the Dodgers think it might happen. Can then you, they just give up everything. Can you imagine being a Nationals fan? And last offseason, you traded away Scherzer and Trey Turner. Now, Scherzer was a free agent at the end of the year, so that makes a little bit more sense. But Turner still had a year of team yeah, control. He's, he's, he had two years. Yeah. He's a free agent after this but year. But you trade away Scherzer, you trade away Turner, and now you might trade away Juan Soto? Like You're suddenly an A's fan. Exactly. Like Why even be a fan of that team at that point? And again... Scherzer's like, what is he, 40 or something like that? Yeah. I get the Scherzer stuff makes if anybody was like, I don't want to pay Max Scherzer, he's 40 years old, that's fine. But Juan Soto's 23. What, what are you doing if you don't pay that guy for 10 years? Like, I can I just can't imagine that. If I was a Nationals fan, I would be furious at any insinuation right. that this guy's not a national until he's at least 35 or something like that. Just be stupid. The guy's amazing. 40, 40 million a year, four hundred million. Whatever he wants. Right. There's no salary right. cap. Maybe more. That's that's the biggest Maybe part more. to me with baseball that will never make any sense. How do you not figure out how the money works? You don't have to right. like. You don't. You don't have to have long term IRs. Yes, that doesn't have to <laughs> exist. Does not have to exist. And I just I don't know. I don't get how Washington, who by the way won a World Series with this guy three years ago. Yeah. Like they just won the World Series, and this guy was awesome in that year. 
and they're gonna be and they're gonna be like, ah, eh, we don't want to pay this guy what he wants. Like, what are you doing? Baseball owners are stupid. Get them out of here. Get rid of them. Bring in ones that want to spend money, because there's no reason Juan Soto should not be playing for the Nationals for the rest of time, or until he's 35 or something like that. It's just ridiculous. Which the other trade mentioned in there that could be a lot of fun. What if the Twins trade Carlos? Oh, your Correa? guy. He... To the Astros? No, the shortstop's their best player now. Uh, Carlos Correa has an opt-out after this season, so it could be a one-year in Minnesota. One, it could be one year and anyway. The premise of this trade idea is that most people think Correa is going to opt right. out and try to sign a mega deal like he failed to get this last offseason. Minnesota, had one of their best prospects is a shortstop who's actually playing for them the last couple of weeks because Correa was hurt. Um, there's some legitimate reason for the Twins to trade away Carlos Correa at the deadline. Now, the interesting part, though, the Twins are currently in first place in the AL Central. And if they're in first place as we get to July, right, when we get close to the trade deadline, even if it's in your best interest to trade this guy away and get prospects back for a guy that's leaving in two months anyways, would you really trade away Carlos Correa when, you've, when you're winning your division or have a shot to win your no. division? Be I don't think so. I mean, why not? I mean, if you think you're going to lose him, take your shot now to win it. You right? I mean... Why trade him now? It would depend on how if much. You're in fourth place, it's one thing. It depends on how much the front office truly believes that they can win that it. That they would have a chance because they they weren't. The White Sox were expected to run away with that division. Yes. The White Sox have kind of sucked so far this year. But like, if we get into July and let's say the Twins are a game back of the White Sox at that point, do they really think that they have a chance? To we win can it? win the division, even slash with expanded win the World Series. Right. You might look back and say, even though you're in it, you might say, "Ah, eh, we'll trade the guy anyways," because again. They've got a young shortstop who might be able to produce at a high enough level that they make the playoffs anyways, even after trading away Correa.